Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that God made us with minds that are capable of never ceasing to develop? Isn't that something? It's unbelievable. You see, man is made lower than the angels, but with the capability of a relation to God. You see, there are many things we could talk about that. And, and, and I, I want you to know that what we study here is going to be re relatively unimportant in the overall picture of your life. It's only what we are inspired to get for ourselves. Do you understand? I have only one purpose in this class, and that is not to tell you a lot of things, but to, to have the Holy Spirit inspire you to go to the sources so you can get truths that are unbelievable. Didn't I read to you folks that there are great truths laying unheeded and unseen since the day of Pentecost? Did I read that statement to you? that are going to come from the Word of God in this native purity, truths that have been completely lost sight of, and says children are going to get them. Well, let's become children, what do you say? And so it isn't what you get here that's going to really be the important thing. It's what you are inspired to get. All right, now something else that, that someone... Uh, uh, I appreciate what... What is your name now? Randy. What? Randy. Randy, all right, I appreciate what Randy says because this is the thing that has really done more for me than anything else to realize that God made human beings with the capability of doing just unbelievable things. Not because of what's in us, but because of the, uh, of the uh, ability to have human beings have God in them. You see, we're different from the angels. You know, when uh, Lucifer and his angels fell, they still retained their light. And probably they would live forever if God didn't destroy them. But human beings without God immediately began to disintegrate. And, what, and man immediately lost his light. You know, uh, there was a beautiful light around man. Maybe I should just mention a little bit of, of this here because I think this is really important. There's a chapter in uh, volume eight, uh, just to show you, uh, just to, uh, to show you what we're talking about. Uh, volume eight. This is page two fifty-five, and it's a chapter called "Essential Knowledge." Now, these uh, these uh, chapters that I'm giving you, if you could take time, I know you're busy, but if you could take time to do some research on these, because I'm just giving you a few key thoughts, and I do hope before this class is over, you will all have read carefully through the book Education. We're going to touch it now and then, but we're not following the book. I find that if we just follow a book, we kind of incline to get stereotyped. We want to reach out and get many thoughts. And uh, if this is different from any class that you've been in, don't be surprised because I, I'm teaching this different than I've ever taught it before because uh, I'm learning new things all the time. And I want to incorporate those things in it. Well, uh, when uh, man sinned, or before man sinned, he had a light uh, surrounding him. And I'll read this. This is page 255 of uh, volume 8. Before the entrance of sin, not a cloud rested upon the minds of our first parents to obscure their perception of the character of God. They were perfectly conformed to the will of God. For a covering, a beautiful light, the light of God surrounded them. What, what surrounded them? A beautiful light, the light of God surrounded them. I'm hoping some artist sometime will draw Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and put the light around them instead of making them almost pornographic figures. You know what I mean? If they, they were surrounded with what? 
a beautiful light. And this, this clear and perfect light illuminated everything they approached. They didn't need flashlights. You had your built-in flashlight. And when, even at night, you see, if you approached anything, well, you illuminated the darkness. There was no night. There was no light. There was no darkness. But there was something about that that, that is uh, that's really more important than that. It says nature was their lesson book. In the Garden of Eden, the existence of God was demonstrated. His attributes were revealed in the objects of nature that surrounded them. On page 16 of Education and page 18 of Christ's Object Lessons is this statement. Nature, in its, in its original condition, in its perfection, was an expression of the thought of God. Everything in creation was an expression of the thought of God. We as human beings were an expression of the thought of God. And so everywhere man looked, what would he see? God's thoughts. Now, uh, but notice what it says here. It says, But when they listened to the tempter and sinned against God, the light of the garments of heavenly innocence departed from them. Deprived of this heavenly light, they could no longer discern the character of God in the works of his hands. So it was not only a light of, of illumination, but it was a light of what else? Of discernment. And when this light shone on nature, this light in them that shone forth made them discern God in everything in nature. But when man sinned, he lost this light. But you know... Uh, the light has been returned. And Malachi, the last chapter, says, When the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. You see, Jesus took the place of that light. Page 161 of uh, Desire of Ages says, Light has always been the symbol of God's presence. But you see, so when man sinned, he lost much more than Satan did. Because Satan has his light, he's still an angel of light, but we're not very bright beings. You all agree on that, don't you? Uh, there isn't anything light about us. Uh, it became darkness. And so man, when he lost his relation to God, then the, the thing that we need to understand is that, that man, capable of a special relationship with God, is capable also of a terrible degradation when Satan enters. Because man with God can become so great without God, and Satan in him, we can become the bottom. And you know, when, Je when Jesus comes back to the earth, there are going to be just two classes of people. One class that reflect the image of Jesus fully, and you know what the other class is going to be like? Let's see if I can find that statement. It's right here in the, in the last part. And I won't take any time, but, but I, I can, I'll give you the reference lately. I wasn't, late, later, I wasn't planning to use it. Oh, here it is. This is page 974, volume 7. I want you to notice, so you see what, what man is, will become. It says, The forces of darkness will unite with human agents who have given themselves into the control of Satan, and the same scenes that were exhibited at the trial, rejection, and crucifixion of Christ will be revived. This is 7 B.C. 974. Through yielding to satanic influences, men will be transformed into fiends. Into what? 
and those who were created in the image of God who were formed to honor and glorify their creator will come the have become the habitation of dragons and Satan will see in an apostate race his masterpiece of evil those men who reflect his own image so when probation closes the human race will either be totally filled with the Spirit of God and will reflect Jesus' image or will be given over to evil spirits and will become fiends and reflect the very image of Satan. This is what we're facing. You and I, this is our destiny, either to, to accept Christ, to let him work in us and become transformed into his image, or we will be transformed into fiends. It really shouldn't make much choice. We, sh we shouldn't ha have to hesitate very much on that choice, should we? But you see, you don't have to. You don't have to choose just to serve Satan because we're already under his control. We have to choose to serve Christ. All right, now, uh, this makes us realize uh, how man is different. With God, he's capable of reaching what? Infinite development. Without him, he is going to reach the depths the very image of Satan himself. All right, now anything else that someone would like to... Yes? Um, I'm interested in the idea of Well, that's a hard question. We, we aren't given very much information about the angels, and, and we don't want to get into speculation, but we know this. I read the statement to us on page 21 of Desire of Ages that angels woo the hearts of men. Didn't I read that statement? And that they bring the lost into a fellowship with Christ, which is closer than they themselves can know. Angels are working with us to bring us to Christ, and then they stand back and they see what? us come into a relation with him that they can't come into. Man was made for that close fellowship. There's a wonderful statement. Uh, you might want to get this in your notebook uh, on page 18 of Testimonies to Ministers. This is a real, this is a real tremendous statement. This is, ta this is a, uh, talking about divine experiments. The Lord Jesus is making experiments on human hearts through the exhibition of his mercy and abundant grace he is affecting transformation so amazing that Satan, with all his triumphant boasting, with all his confederacy of evil united against God and the laws of his government, stands viewing them as a fortress impregnable to his sophistries and delusions. They are to him an incomprehensible mystery. The angels of God, seraphim and cherubim, the powers commissioned to cooperate with human agencies, look on with astonishment and joy that fallen men, once children of wrath, are through the training of Christ developing characters after the divine similitude. To be sons and daughters of God, to act an important part in the occupations and pleasures of heaven. So you see, this, now I, uh, I can't tell you very much about angels. Uh, I just know that angels cannot, are not capable of the development that man is. And while they were created greater, yet man, because of his relation with God and because of this special 
uh, because of his special creation in making him particularly able to have God in him in a special way. You understand what I mean? It's God in man that makes him great. It's not man himself, because he's lower than the angels. And, uh, you know, we, we discussed uh, a little about, uh, at the beginning, uh, Lucifer wanted to enter the counsels of God, and he, he couldn't. Uh, first of all, the counsels of God were all concerning the human race, and secondly, he was an angel. But did you know that Moses, when he went up on Mount Sinai, had the privilege of entering the secret counsels of God? Let me read you this statement. This will just show you the, the, what, what God wants man to do. This is page 1103, volume 1 of the commentary, 1 B.C. 1103. Moses, the visible leader of the Israelites, was admitted into the secret counsels of the Most High. Into what? Now, Moses, of course, was the representative. And when Jesus was about to go through his final trial, when uh, uh, just before uh, his, his final uh, great test in the Garden of Gethsemane and then on the cross, he, was taken up on, he went up on the mountain and there he was transfigured. And who was it there that encouraged him and strengthened him? Now, why do you suppose two people from this earth were there to help Jesus. That's right. And let me tell you, folks, there was a lot at stake with Moses and Elijah because Moses and Elijah had both gone to heaven on the supposition or on the, uh, on the fact that Jesus was going to be victorious in his battle with Satan. Because if Jesus had failed and gone back to heaven before he finished the plan of salvation, Moses and Elijah couldn't have stayed there because they went there because of the righteousness of Christ. So they had a lot at stake too, you see. They, uh, and, uh, of course, as it was said, uh, they had encouragement to give him because they had, had Moses and Elijah been through some pretty hard things. That's right. But who gave them strength to go through it? Jesus, but he was up in heaven then. And now he was down here as a man, and Elijah and Moses came here to give strength to Jesus when he, as a man to help him go through his trial. All right? Now, anything else? Uh, just one more thought, because it's, I want to get started, because we, we want to take the rest of it, because I have some special things we want to discuss today. Something else someone has? That was uh, one, did I give it to you? 1 B.C.? 1103, yes. Let's remember, in order to understand what is comprehended in the, in the work of education, we need to study the nature of man. Now, do you all understand what God's trying to do? Human beings are destined to be the... They're to follow Jesus as being members of a new race of beings. The connecting link between God and the creation. Jesus is a man. He was the first being that belonged to that race. And he's given us power to become members of his family. We're not going to be God. We're going to be what? Children of God. We're going to be divine human beings. 
The Bible tells about it all the time. Paul talks about it being partakers of what? The divine, the divine nature. You see, Christ's birth, when he was born as a baby, was the same as our new birth. He was born as the daughter of Mary, but the Son of God. We're born with a human father and a human mother, but when we're reborn, then God is our Father. So you see, our birth now is what Jesus' birth was back there. And so when we, become, when we are really born again, then we have the power that Jesus had to live without sinning. And that's what God is going to demonstrate. And that's why we should understand the destiny that we have. Uh, we can't reach a goal higher than we know, can we? But when we know what God's trying to do, what limit is there? All right, now, uh, there's something else that I'd like to study with you today, and that is, you know, sometimes we think, well, if we're just saved, that's wonderful. Well, that is wonderful. But I want you to know that there's something more important than just being saved. Uh, because uh, uh, as wonderful as it is to be saved, it's, it, it is essential that we realize that God has surrounded us with circumstances. Now, God controls the circumstances of our life. I don't know how many of you here are Sabbath. Uh, I probably, some of you, but anyway, we discussed this. God controls the circumstances of our lives. And he has planned from eternity those circumstances under which we can develop to the highest extent, provided we use our talents. And on page 49 of the book Fundamentals of Christian Education is this statement that I'd like to share with you. The youth should be learners for the next world. For what? Perseverance in the acquisition of knowledge controlled by the fear and love of God will give them an increased power for good in this life, and those who have made the most of their privileges to reach the highest attainments here will take these valuable acquisitions with them into the future life. The capability to appreciate the glories that I have not seen nor hear, ear heard will be proportionate to the attainments reached in the cultivation of the faculties in this life. Now, did you get just what that said? Yeah. That was pretty deep, wasn't it? Pretty strong. All right, now listen again. This last sentence. The capability. Now, what's capability mean? That means all of our faculties together, our abilities. The capabilities to appreciate the glories that I have not seen nor ear heard will be proportionate to the attainments reached in the cultivation of the faculties in this life. Now, you see, Kara? Yes, Doc. We've already discussed that when we read about education, we're going to have to find, a, find it where? In inspired writings. And you all, we all get a wrong picture. And we talk about higher education. And we're going to get into this discussion on higher education. Higher education can begin in the kindergarten. Sure. <laughs> it has to be. Well, it should. It doesn't always. But anyway, when we're talking about education in God's sight, we're talking about that education. Well... Uh, let me read this statement again. I, I, sh I want to read this often because I want us to get acquainted with it. Now, as never before, we need to understand the true science of education. If we fail to understand this, we shall never have a place in the kingdom of God. 
This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Then life eternal is to what? Know God and to know Jesus Christ, because it's through Jesus Christ we know God. If this is the price of heaven, if what's the price of heaven? To know God. To know God. Shall not our education be conducted along these lines? Then education in its truest sense is to have a what? An expanding knowledge of God. And the more we know God, and this is a personal experimental knowledge of God, the more we know God, the more we're going to be like him. All right, uh, now, uh, I'll read another statement uh, in, that goes right along with that, and this is Christ's Object Lessons, page 363. Oh, yeah, thank you. Christ's Object Lessons, 363. Was that last reference, Fundamental Christian Education? Fundamental, yes. Page 473? No, 49. Now, this is, this is Christ's Object Lessons, page 363. We shall individually be held responsible for doing one jot less than we have ability to do. The Lord measures with exactness every possibility for service. The unused capabilities are as much brought into account as those are improved. For all that we might become through the right use of our talents, God holds us responsible. We shall be judged according to what we ought to have done but did not accomplish because we did not use our powers to glorify God. Even if we do not lose our souls, we shall realize in eternity the result of our unused talents. For all the knowledge and ability that we might have gained and did not, there will be an eternal loss. Now, I explained, I was talking to parents, and I explained this way, I'm a builder, and uh, you know what the first thing you always build, what's the first thing you always make when you're building a house? A foundation. Now, you can build a house as high as you want to on the foundation if it's good, but you can't build it any bigger than the foundation. You understand? The foundation determines the size of your house. In this life, we're building our foundation, which is character. Character building is closed when Jesus comes. It says on page 466 of volume 5 that uh, when Jesus comes, our character, when we die or when Jesus comes, our character is fixed for eternity. Now, there's development. And what kind of development? Infinite development, but it's built on what? Our foundation. Now, I can't explain this, and maybe you can't explain it either, but that's all right. But this plainly says, if we don't develop and use our talents here to the glory of God, if he, if he can't develop every one of our talents, what's going to happen? We're, now, now, we're not going to any of us be pining if we're in heaven, I'm sure of that, but we're going to realize what? That we could... Well, I want to know that now, don't you? Right. Now... This doesn't mean how much knowledge we have. It's the use of our what? Talents. It's putting them into practice. It's, it's, uh, and so, in a very short time, folks, 
we're all of us going to be full-time service for God if we were going to work for Him. He's promised to take care of us. Yes. Was that fifth volume of testimonies or Bible conversation? That I just read this from? Uh, yeah, it's the fifth volume, page 466. Oh, uh, volume four. Uh, uh, that was, uh, that was vol what did I say? Well, I'm sorry. I'll tell you. I'll give you the reference. It's volume five. I think it's 466, but let me see for sure. Because I don't want to give you the wrong way. It's 4T, 466. Here's what it says. 466, 4, 5T. I'll get it straight pretty soon. Volume 5, page 466. It is a solemn thing to die, but a far more solemn thing to live. If we go to a funeral, we should be crying for the one that's dead. We should be weeping for the ones that are still alive. Because when a person dies, the devil can't bother them anymore. And if, if their lives are hid with Christ and God, they're, they're all right. It says it's a solemn thing to die, but it's a far more solemn thing to live. Every thought and word of our lives will meet us again. What we make of ourselves in probationary time, that we must remain to all eternity. Death brings disillusion to the body but makes no change in the character. The coming of Christ does not change our characters. It only fixes them forever beyond all change. Now, uh, I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to get into technicalities on this, you know. Uh, uh, the de but the development is, is infinite. But we do fix our... <coughs> Capabilities here, isn't that what it says? The capabilities we have, we take into work. You see, this is the ideal environment to develop characters like Christ. There's no place else in the universe you can do it. We have the ideal environment because there are people all around me that need help. And when Jesus comes, it says he separated the goats from the sheep. Do you remember that? That's in the 25th chapter of Matthew. And he put the goats on the left hand and the sheep on the right. And he said to those on the right, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was, in, I was sick, and you ministered unto me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And these are the things we can do to demonstrate the character of Christ here. But bless your heart, when we get to heaven, all we can do is be good. Now, I'm glad there aren't any jails, aren't you? But do you understand that this is the perfect environment to develop and demonstrate the character of Christ? Every day, do we see people that need help? Well, let's say a word of encouragement to them. Jesus came to demonstrate the character of God. From his earliest years, he was possessed of but one purpose. He lived to bless others. And so we're here not... Uh, you're not here to take this class... Uh, so you get a grade. In fact, I'm not even going to give you a grade anyway. Uh, you, the Lord's going to give you a grade. I'm just going to say you attended, see. What you got out of it will depend on what happens to you. And I don't have any, I don't have any control over that. You understand what I'm talking about? It isn't, it isn't what you learn here that's going to amount to anything. But if some principles are implanted that will enable us to develop, then we've accomplished something. And so this is the environment in which 
Created beings are developing a character like Christ through the indwelling of Christ. And there's no other, there's no other environment in the universe like this. And I'm glad it's not going to be that way forever, but we were born here, we're living here, and we have the opportunity of developing a character here that will just make us have the privilege of being the teachers of the universe for all eternity. I just read where that the inhabitants of the universe are looking to us to understand the character of Christ. All right? Now, now there's another principle that I want to... I said we were going to study about the, the source of education, but there's something else that I want to study with you today, and that is this principle, that it isn't what you learn that's important. It's what you impart that's important. You do not really know anything until you give it. Did you know that? I was talking to a man yesterday and he said, I've been trying to find somebody to teach me how to give Bible studies. Well, bless your heart, you know something that somebody else doesn't know. You tell them about it. And did you know when you start telling people what you know, what's going to happen? You're going to start getting something else. And whatever you folks learn in this class will be of no value to you unless you begin to tell somebody else about it if you learn something good. You're not here to hoard it. Nature tells us that we don't hoard. What happens when they hoard? <laughs> well, sure, it goes putrid. It goes rotten. And this is a principle. God never intended it in education we should go and listen and listen and listen and listen and listen. He intended we should hear something and impart it and hear something and impart it. And he intended us to graduate a lot faster than we do so that we're no longer learners but we're teachers. In fact, let me let you into a little secret. Did you know that, that when we get under the new covenant, we're not supposed to have anybody teach us? Is that a shocker to you? Well, turn with me to Hebrews. Or Isaiah 30, or Jeremiah 31. Either one. One's just a copy of that. But we'll turn to Hebrews and read it. I want you to notice what it says. Because this is real important. You all want to be under the, we, we all want to be under the new covenant, don't we? Let's see what it says. Hebrews, the eighth chapter. Hebrews 8, I'm going to start reading with the eighth verse. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make, without, make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. Who will? Who's going to do it? I am. God's going to. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their what? Hearts. This is how it gets to our hearts, through our minds, to our hearts. Just like our food goes into our mouth, into our stomachs, and into our bodies. This is a process. It goes through our minds, into our hearts. All right? And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. People that are the new covenant, we shouldn't be preaching to each other. We should all be preaching to people who don't know it. Isn't that what it says? 
says, we'll not teach every man his brother and every man his neighbor, saying, no, the Lord, they'll all know we from the least to the greatest. See, there's a real danger. We might still be under the old covenant. Well, there, there, uh, there is a time coming when there's nobody left but that. But when we do that, we don't have to teach each other. You understand? We can tell each other our experience. But I want you to know that the time is here when we should not be students, but we should be teachers, all of us. Well, let me, uh, let me read you something else that's, that's very interesting. You know, there's a chapter in, uh, in Christ's Object Lesson called The Talents. And I, uh, this this chat this statement that I read about about uh, uh, realizing our our not having uh, all that we should have is in the chapter of the talents. But there's a there's a section in here called talents multiplied by use. And I want I want to read a little of this to us. I hope you'll read uh, this chapter on the talents, but read especially the part multiplied by use. Page 353 of Christ's Object Lessons. Talents used are talents multiplied. If we're going to find unused talents when we get to heaven, it's because we haven't done what? Use them. We haven't used them. All right. Success is not the result of chance or of destiny. It is the outworking of God's own providence, the reward of faith and discretion, of virtue and persevering effort. The Lord desires us to get, use every gift we have, and if we do this, we shall have greater gifts to use. He does not supernaturally endow us with the qualifications we, we lack. But while we use that which we have, He will work with us to increase and strengthen every faculty. By every wholehearted earnest sacrifice for the Master's service, our powers will increase. While we yield ourselves as instruments for the Holy Spirit's working, the grace of God works in us to deny old inclinations, to overcome powerful propensities, and to form new habits. Would you like to forget some of the old propensities and form some new habits? You see, it's the old habits that destroy the new. Nature hates a vacuum. You remember about the where Jesus talked about this person that had... The devil cast out, and the devil went out and wandered around and came back and found the house, what? Empty. Empty and swept and garnished. And he came back and brought seven other devils with him and entered into that man, and the last end was what? You see, we don't need empty spaces in us. We need to replace the old propensities with what? New habits. The old things that we've done to please ourselves all our lives, and we've done it, haven't we? Let's begin to do what? Form habits and use our talents in what? In service. That's what we're, that's what we're here for. All right? Now, notice what else it says. As we cherish and obey the promptings of the Spirit, our hearts are enlarged to receive more and more of His power and to do more and better work. Dormant energies are aroused and palsied faculties receive new life as we what? As we begin to put into practice the things that we know. We begin to do things. We begin to impart. When you have a little knowledge, begin to impart it right away. Don't wait till you know it all. And did you know when you begin to explain something, it will become amazingly clear to you? People say, well, how do you remember all those things? There's only one way I remember them. You know how I remember them? I give them. 
And I love to give them. And you know that when I'm here giving things to class, things come to my mind I never thought of before. Marvelous things. It's while you're giving that you get it. And while you're preparing to give it. Now, I want you to notice this next paragraph because this should be a real encouragement. The, humblest, the humble worker who obediently responds to the call of God may be sure of receiving divine assistance. If you, go out, if you begin to talk to people, it's amazing what will come to your mind as you're talking. Hey, you've had this experience, haven't you? The Lord will bring these things to your mind, but he's not going to bring them to you until you begin to do it, until you begin to use them. To accept so great and holy a responsibility is itself elevating to the character. It calls into action the highest mental and spiritual powers and strengthens, purifies the mind and heart. What does? When I begin to impart these truths that God gives me. All right, now. Through faith in the power of God, it is wonderful how strong a weak man may become. How prolific... How decided his efforts, how prolific of great results. He who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows, while seeking diligently for further knowledge, will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. So you see, if all you get out of this class is what I give you, it won't amount to much. You'll forget it in a little while. And this is true of all classes. If you begin to share with other people... Do you, do you tell people, I found something wonderful today. Do you tell people that? Does the Lord give you something every day that's real special? If he does, you share it with people. And this is how we encourage it. Well, did you know the Lord has a book up there that's specially for that? Did you know that? Well, let's read about it. Turn to Malachi. You see, I never thought about this until just now. I wasn't going to talk about this. The Lord just opens up to our minds as, as these things come. Malachi, the third chapter, and the 16th verse. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. They did what? Speak often. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought on his name. There's a special book up there for people that are imparting and telling other people what wonderful truths they've learned. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord, in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Now notice what the next verse says. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. How are you going to know the difference between? Well, what are we talking about? What are we sharing? What's in our minds? And so it isn't enough to know it. We must impart it. Now you understand this is the first principle of, edu of true education. As soon as I learn something, what am I going to do? I'm going to share it with someone. And as I begin to explain it, what will happen? Well, the Lord may open up to something to me that I never thought of before. And the whole treasure of heaven, it says, will open up to it. All right? Now, uh, Jesus tells about that. Now, notice what this says. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. Yes. A good example that our Lord gives us in the Bible of this is the five barley loaves and two fishes. Yeah. How he will multiply. That's right. And another example that I found 
and one of my favorite gems is down on the Yard 827. It's about the second or third paragraph. I haven't memorized it, but it begins, All who concentrate. That might be a good one to read. Body, soul, and spirit to God will be constantly receiving a new endowment of spiritual, physical, mental, and spiritual power. That's right. The whole paragraph. The whole paragraph's a wonderful paragraph. That's right. All right? Now, notice that what this says. In fact, you folks be finding some. Be looking for these gems. Don't memorize something unless you're going to use it. If you do, you're destroying your mind. But memorize and what? And give it. In fact, I'm going to read you a statement a little bit that will shock you. It shocked me. I'll tell you when I read it. The more one tries to explain the Word of God to others, the, with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. The more we use our knowledge and exercise our power, the more knowledge and power we shall have. This is page 354 in this chapter. Uh, uh, the talents, talents multiplied by use. Every effort made for Christ will react in blessing upon ourselves. You know, we're teaching elementary at school, and we're trying to present the principles of this. You don't have to worry about what you learn. You begin to help other people. And if you begin to give things to other people and do things for other people, you think you're not going to get something? Well, you're going to get more than anyone. You know who's getting more out of this class than anybody? <laughs> Who do you think is? Why, sure I am. I don't want to. But you see, I can only I can only bubble over, you see. And when you start bubbling over, well that means that you know when you, what happens when you bubble over? It means you're full. <laughs> and you see, if you're full and you don't bubble over, did you ever try to put some water in a full pail? You see you see, uh, as we as we begin to impart now, this uh, brother was telling us about desire of ages and uh, and this chapter about uh, the uh, the five loaves and two fishes is a real lesson. The there's a there's a section, the, the whole chapter on that. Give you them to eat, and I want to read a little bit from this. This is page three sixty nine. This is right on the right on the point. Three sixty nine desire of ages. The disciples were channels of communication between Christ and the people. This should be a great encouragement to his disciples today. Christ is the great center, the source of all strength. His disciples are to receive their supplies from him. The most intelligent, the most spiritually minded can bestow only as they receive. Of themselves they can supply nothing for the needs of the soul. We can impart only that which we receive from Christ, and we can receive only as we impart to others. You know why there isn't any more incentive to study today? We're not, we don't give out enough. And the more we impart, the more we shall receive. It's a law. Thus we may be constantly believing, trusting, receiving, imparting. Now, now I, want you to, uh, I want you to notice this. Too often the worker for Christ fails to realize his personal responsibility. He is in danger of shifting his burden upon organizations instead of relying upon him who is the source of all strength. I work for an institution and they have patients here and they're all getting it. Bless your heart, you can dry up doing that. We have to impart personally. 
You can't turn it over to an organization or an institution. It's a personal responsibility. It is a great mistake to trust in human wisdom or numbers in the work of God. Successful work for Christ depends not so much on numbers or talent as upon the pureness of purpose, the true simplicity of earnest, dependent faith. Personal responsibilities must be borne, personal duties must be taken up, personal efforts must be made for those who do not know Christ. In the place of shifting your responsibility upon someone whom you think more richly endowed than you are. Did you ever say, well, I'll go find somebody to give you the answer. If someone is interested enough to ask you, you tell them personally. It'll mean more to them than anybody you get. All right. And let me tell you, what you have to say is more important to that person than the pastor, what the pastor says. Did you know that? Because if you do it, they know you're not. Well, when the pastor comes, well, uh, they kind of get turned off. What do they say? Well, he's getting paid to do it. I know people. I've talked to them. And I, I used to do that. I don't do it anymore because I find that sometimes you lose them in the transition. If somebody's interested enough to ask you questions and you have stirred their interest, you can do more for them than anyone else in the world. And you know, uh, and you're going to get the greatest blessing. Don't miss that blessing. Now, these two principles are real important and now I want to deal with something else. Now, we said we were going to talk about the source of education. And I'm going to turn, first of all, to the book Education. The first paragraph of the book Education, on page 13, it tells about our ideas of education to take too narrow and too low a range. Do you all agree with that? Have we thought too small in education? There is need of a broader scope, a higher aim. True education means more than the pursuit of a certain course of study. It means more than the preparation for the life that now is. It has to do with the whole being. With what? And with the whole period of existence possible to man. Why, folks, we're going to live as long as God does if we just submit to his discipline and surrender our lives to him. God began a long time before we did, but we can last as long as he can. Aren't you glad of that? That's right. It says we should have lives that are measured with the life of God. And so we're not studying here just to go out here and make so much an hour or to be successful or to have a place or have, a, uh, have fame. We're not interested in any of those things, are we? We're interested in the education that it lasts for what? Eternity. And our service, our place in heaven, remember this, our place in heaven has nothing to do with our place in this earth. You all understand that, don't you? I can have the highest position in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination and still might have a low place in heaven. You understand? It's a personal relation to God. Now, I'm not trying to categorize people, but you see, the janitor may stand higher in heaven than the, than the president does. 
has nothing to do with position at all. It has to do with our personal relation with God and our, and our willingness to let him work through us and being submissive to his will. All right? It prepares the student for the joy of service in this world and for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. The source of such an education is brought to view in these words of Holy Writ pointing to the infinite one in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He hath counsel and understanding. Now here are two, here's a paragraph that I want us to get because it's real important. There are a lot of people who think they need to read certain books because there's some beautiful thoughts in them. Well, now I want you to notice what, what God says in inspired writings about the writings of people. The world has had its great teachers Men of great intellect, giant intellect, and extensive research, men whose utterances have stimulated thought and opened to view vast fields of knowledge, and these men have been honored as guides and benefactors of their race, but there is one who stands higher than they. We can trace the line of world's teachers as far back as human records extend, but the light was before them. As the moon and the stars of our solar system shine by the reflected light of the sun, so far as their teachings is true, do the world's great men reflect the rays of the sun of righteousness. Every gleam of thought, every flash of intellect is from the light of the world. Hmm? This is education. I'm on page 13 and 14, right at the beginning of the book. So we don't have to go to these sources. Every truth that is important for us to know is his inspired sources. Now, there, there may be technical books that we need to study. I'm not going to say anything about it. But we don't need to go there for the truths that have to do with our personal growth and development, our relation to God. Now it says, In these days much is said concerning the nature and importance of higher education. The true higher education is that imparted by him with whom is wisdom and strength, out of whose mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Who's that? That's God, and it, and it comes through Christ. In a knowledge of God, all true knowledge and real development have their source. Wherever we turn, in the physical, the mental, or the spiritual realm, in whatever we behold apart from the blight of sin, this knowledge is revealed. Whatever line of investigation we pursue with a sincere purpose to arrive at truth, we are brought in touch with the mighty, unseen mighty intelligence that is working in and through all. The mind of man is brought into communion with the mind of God, the finite with the infinite. The effect of such communion on body, mind, and soul is beyond estimate. Now, the great instrument for the understanding of God is the Bible. Now, I'm using a lot of the spirit of prophecy. It's in simple language. These truths are in the Bible, and we all need to study the Bible more. The Bible is the Word of God. And the Word of God, when it's taken into our minds and into our hearts and obeyed, it's through the mind, through the body, that, through the Word of God that we are transformed. Now we talked about, I mentioned this, uh, that Christianity is not wishful thinking. It's not desiring. It's not hoping. It's a science. It's the science of salvation. And in order for us to have spiritual life, we must have spiritual food. 
And we may not enjoy reading the Bible in the spirit of prophecy. And I know from personal experience, because I've had many ups and downs in my experience, and there was a time when I wasn't having the experience that I should have, and I knew I was going to have to get it, and I prayed, and the Lord just made it, said plainly to me, you start studying. I wasn't studying. And I started reading my Bible. I started diligently reading my Bible two hours a day. And did you know it was six months before I really enjoyed it? It was six months before I really began to open up to me. Now, I had under, I'd known the Bible before that. But we all have spirit, periods of spiritual declension. You understand what I mean? We shouldn't have them, and I don't want any more. I don't want you to have any. But if we're not, we not feeding on the Word of God, we're going to have spiritual declension. And we have to take time to do it. Now, I want to leave that, but the rest of it, I, I want to deal with something that I, I, I want that I, is really important in connection with that. And I know what you're all going to say. What are you going to say? Huh? You don't have time. I know. I've been all through it. Well, I'm going to tell you that we do have time. We're going to have to put some priorities on things. Yes, Doctor. I have the same problem. I know. All right. I want to share something real special in the few minutes we have left. I'm going to I'm going to share some texts with you that to me are the are the uh, have been a real blessing. You know. <laughs> I'll tell you a little experience I had. This will just illustrate what I'm talking about. We have to have priorities. Several years ago, I was living in Idaho, and, and I was in the contracting business, and, and uh, my family was growing up, and I bought an organ. And I said, now, I want somebody to learn to play that organ. And, you know, uh, any of my family, my wife could have played, she didn't practice, and I had two daughters and a son, and they'd all taken piano lessons and organ lessons, but they never played. And I used to say, well, now, why don't you play? And so one day, one day, you know what I said, all right, I'm going to learn. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I'm not musically inclined. So you know what I did? I got up every morning, and I got uh, some... There's a system for organ called the pointer system. I, maybe some of you have seen it. It's a simple system. And I practiced every morning, two hours. I got up early. I had to go to work. And I practiced every morning for six months. And I was getting so I could play a little bit, just for my own benefit. You understand, I wasn't cut out to be a concert organist. <laughs> and I was playing there one morning, and the Lord spoke to me. Has the Lord ever spoken to you? Has he just put thoughts into your mind so definite that you know God's talking to you? And here's what he said. He said, what are you trying to prove anyway? Well, I knew what I was trying to prove. I was going to prove that if I could play, they could play, you understand. I was, just going, to, I was going to show them up. And then this is what the Lord said to me, just as plain and distinct. What are you wasting your time doing that for? You're not going to accomplish anything. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if you spend all this time playing and miss heaven? 
If you'll take the time in studying, knowing about me, when you get to heaven, I'll let you play, I'll let you play the organ without any practice. <laughs> and I said, all right, Lord. <laughs> I know, I've had it. <laughs> I closed the organ. I've never touched one since. But I do take time with the Lord in the morning. And folks, this is the time we must start with God. So I want to give you some of my real favorite texts. First one is in Job. Job 7, verses 17 and 18. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him? Have we already studied that God wants to ma has magnified man? Has he given him a, a destiny beyond anything that anyone else in the universe has? What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? Did you know the family of God has a love affair with the family of earth? And they're the aggressors in it. They're the ones that are pushing it. They want us to know about it. What is man that thou shouldest, what? Magnify him that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, that thou shouldest visit him every morning. Did you know you have an appointment with God every morning? That God says, I'll visit you every morning? Is that what it says, written? And shouldest that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment. Now, you know the last part, don't you? Well, I want you to know if we're going to be tried every moment, we'd better be around when he visits us, uh, visits us because this is the preparation for it. And I want to promise every one of you, if you'll ask the Lord before you go to bed to wake you up in time to have your relation with him, he will wake you up in the morning. What's that? Yes, you should. What's that? It is, that's right. I believe that when there's times that when you find that you can't uh, due to responsibilities that well, in my own experience when I have asked him that he still would give me uh, instruction for the day. For the next, he would wake me up to give me. I agree that we should follow the laws of nature, and this is this is this is right. We should go to bed at night. I have no question about it. But folks, it's physically impossible sometimes. I tell you, I've had people keep up me up all hours of the night, and I've been, I've traveled a lot. And I tell you, when you go out, people just you can't get you can't get to bed. I mean, you they, they just they want to know, they want to talk to you. I've, been up till 12, 1, and 2 o'clock in the morning talking with people. Not because I wanted to. But I want you to know the Lord is able to supply our needs. And I have gone to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and waked up at 4. Yeah.
I could tell you hundreds of experiences, folks. I just know this. Now, I don't know anything about your personal lives, and I'm not interested in getting involved in your own personal circumstances, but God will give you time to commune with Him, and you won't lose anything. Is He able to give us strength? Now, if you sit up at a party somewhere, in your own pleasure, He'll let you sweat it out. You understand what I mean? If it's for our own selfish benefit, but if we do it, and we can't help it, I mean, it's something that is that we should do. The Lord will, will do that. And he'll wake us up. And I, uh, I tell you, the Lord, I could tell you over and over again, the Lord has waked me up early in the morning and he wakes me up uh, depending on what the, the rela- what the importance of it is. And I'm not going to tell, take time to tell personal experiences, but I've been waked up at one o'clock many, many times. And I say, well, Lord, isn't this a little bit early? <laughs> But you know, I, I never lost anything, and I've had some tremendous experiences. Yeah. That's right. We'll we'll mention that in just a minute. There's another verse that I'd like to share with you, and this is the fiftieth Psalm. And this is a verse that's particularly for Jesus. But you know, every verse that was written for Jesus is written for who else? For us. Psalm 50, verse 4, The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. What did I say? Psalm, I'm sorry, I'm... My, I seem to, my, my tongue and my, my mind aren't really coordinated real well today. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I shall know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Now, I can't spend a lot of time on this. Our time is running out. But folks, I just know that we need to get with the Lord in the morning. And... Uh, we were told that just as, as, the, as the manna falls, so the blessing of God comes. That's in Mount of Blessing if you want that reference. I'll give it to you so you can get it with the rest of these. Uh, it's 149 in my book, but I think pages according to the index is 101. So if you put that down, my, page, my book isn't pages according to the index. Christ has given us no promise of help in bearing today the burden of tomorrow. He has said, My grace is sufficient for thee, but like the manna given in the wilderness, his grace is bestowed daily for the day's need. Like the hosts of Israel in their pilgrim life, we may find morning by morning the bread of heaven for the day's supply. One way we may find it? One day alone is ours. And during this day we are to live for God. For this one day we are to place in the hands, in solemn service, all our purposes and plans, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. If you will seek the Lord and be converted every day. Be what? Well, I thought I was converted 50 years ago. 
Well, not quite, but uh, I did have, but that isn't enough. You and I should, must be converted every day. And we must get the man every day. And do you know when the children of Israel had to get the manna? In the morning. It was a very great lesson. And they had to get it before sunrise because it melted when the sun came up. And there was nothing very, something else very interesting. They all went out and gathered manna and, the, and it, they probably gathered by families. I haven't been able to quite figure this out but that's what it would infer. And then they all brought it together and you know what they did? They divided it up. And then they shared it equally. But if you didn't go out and get it, you didn't get any. You had to have some to share. And this is what we should do. We should all have our manna and then in the morning we should share with each other. And we'll all get an equal blessing. And this is wonderful. Now, one more verse. And this is the one that's really special to me. And this is, this is Psalm this time. 110. And I had, a, I, had this, I had a real special experience regarding this. I was holding some meetings and uh, I was having a, a hard time because I didn't want to go there and I didn't think, think I was getting very, I was really getting through very much. And, and I, I was praying. I said, Lord, help me to get something. And the Lord woke me up about three o'clock that morning and he brought this verse to me and I'd read it. Oh, I'd read this verse over and over again. It never made any sense. And suddenly the thing, did you ever read a verse? And then suddenly it comes alive. And here you see something that you just wonder, well, why didn't I see that before? Well, I want you to notice this verse. Psalm 110, verse 3. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Shall be what? You think that's pretty close? Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. From the what? Now we're dealing with medical people here. And uh, you've all had, uh, know, you know what we're talking about. A womb is the organ in which conception takes place. This is where the child begins. It's where it reaches, it carry, its development is carried on until what? Until birth. Now the Lord likens our spiritual birth to a physical birth. He says that we will have, we will be willing in the day of His power in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. Now you see, uh, I'm sure quite a few of you here have been around when children are born. As far as I know, there are three ways that children are born or three ways that a child comes out of the womb. Uh, one way they came out, come out stillborn. You know what that is? They're dead when they're born. They come out premature. You've all seen preemies, haven't you? What do you have to do with them? You put them in an incubator, you know, and keep them warm and take a lot of good care of them until they get the place where they can take care of themselves. And then the other way they come out is mature, normal babies. And then they can take care of themselves, you know. So folks, you and I are going to come out of the womb of the morning in one of these ways. We're going to come out stillborn or premature or full term. And if we're premature, somebody's going to have to nurse us all day. Did you ever come out premature in the morning? 
Or did you ever come out stillborn? You didn't have anything at all? Folks, it's time you and I realized that we should come out in the morning house. Full term. And if you'll ask God, He'll awaken you in time to do it. And this is when we're going to get acquainted with Him particularly. This is when, this is when Jesus comes to commune with us and God comes to commune with us. They come together. They work together. All right, I have one more statement and this is, this is in closing and this is one that is real special too. This is volume 3, page 363 and 364. Uh, volume 3, 3T... 363 and 364. When you arise in the morning, do you feel your helplessness and your need of strength from God and do you humbly, heartily make known your wants to your Heavenly Father? When? In the morning. If so, angels mark your prayers. And if these prayers have not gone forth out of feigned lips, if you're honest with God, you're not playing games with Him, when you are in danger of unconsciously doing wrong and exerting an influence that will lead others to do wrong, your guardian angel will be by your side, prompting you to a better course, choosing your words for you and influencing your actions. Now this is during the day. You see, if we have done what? If we've asked God at the beginning of the day to be with us during that day and to keep us and guard us and keep us. Our guardian angel will be by our side doing what? Choosing our words for us and prompting us to a better course of action. Now notice, if you feel in no danger and if you offer no prayer for help and strength to resist temptations, you will be sure to go astray. Have any of you had that experience too? And your neglect of duty will be marked in the book of God in heaven and you will be found wanting in the trying day. All right. Our next class, Wednesday, we're going to talk about the most important next thing about education. I'll give you a preview on it. Now, we didn't get into this very much. This was a source of education. Where does our, where does our knowledge come from in education? From God, through His Word, through His communications to us, our next study is going to be the result of education. Do you know what the result of education is? To know the voice of God. To know the voice of God. It's going to be on divine guidance. And so if you ha you'll be looking up something and maybe you'll have something to share with us that time. All right, our time is gone. Who'd like to pray to close? All right. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you've designed our minds to be in such a nature that they may be affixed with your mind, that Amen. our thinking can be one and that of your thinking. We pray that you will prompt us this evening in our in our last thoughts that we will remember to ask you to to guide us in the future of tomorrow that we may begin for those who haven't begun that we may continue and to learn to know your voice Amen and we know that because you have given us the desire to ask you to know it that you're desiring for us to know it and you will help us to know your voice and to know your instruction for us Lord, after you've given us this instruction, 
We pray that we won't hoard it, but we will learn how to share it with others. In the little way that we begin, may it grow till we can, till we can have others waiting and ready who know your voice too when you come to take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.